0: Robin and I saw Barb Zorn last night, and she's uh, making—I I w- think—noticeable progress in terms of strength. She's been eating, obviously. In fact, we watched her eat for a while, and uh, she's getting the, you know, the nourishment that she needs. She's going to have surgery tomorrow morning on her neck, which is a—it's it, a separate problem from what she has with her aneurysm, but it's uh, physically it's closely related. Like they're. There's not much distance between the two spots. The same surgeon is going to go in and do the second surgery on her neck to relieve some problem with some discs and vertebrae. And uh, she'll lose some flexibility in her neck, but it won't impact her aneurysm surgery at all. So we're grateful for that. I don't know when it is that she's going to be able to be home. She has been in the hospital for a long, long time. And I, I know she is really ready to get out of there. And I'm sure Gary's ready to have her home as well. So we need to keep praying for Barb and Gary for sure. Um, Margaret Cole is making slow and steady progress uh, for coming back from her stroke. There's just some some ways in which Margaret uh, her you know her memory uh, ability to comprehend things she reads and retain them, those kind of things just need to keep coming back for her. So we need to pray about uh, about Margaret as well. And then I wanted to mention that Jay Don and Mary Lee will be here next Sunday their annual trek from the Ukraine to here. And so we're grateful for that and uh, anticipate their coming. And then two other things which were really exciting to me. One is on uh, Saturday, no, Friday night, on Friday night, Robin and I went to Alberta Bible College for a um, Christmas banquet for all the students and staff. And I teach a class there, usually once a semester, and so we were at this banquet. And Randy Tyson, Eric and Randy were there, because Randy is in a, an evening program. They have a PACE program, evening degree program, and Randy's in that program. And so she was there, and at the beginning of the supper, she came up to Robin and I. Uh, we didn't sit at their table, but she came up to us at the beginning of the supper, and she just kind of knelt down beside us, and she said, you know, she said, all this study that I've been doing, there's one thing that has become clear to me. And she said, I I knew it before, but hadn't really thought much about it. And she said, that is the fact that we have a really great church. She said, our church is so good. She said, I I just, you know, the more I learn and the more I hear about other people's experiences and churches and what we do in our place, she said, we just have such a fantastic church. And she said, "Here I have, I've been here all these years, and while I, I know that to be true, it just has become so much clearer to me recently. That was encouraging. That was exciting for Randy to say. A very, very uh, nice kind of comment from her. And then the second thing is, and this is exactly why Randy would say that we have a great church. If, if you don't, don't know about this, then it, it's, it's a cool story. Like, we, we have been granted the privilege of working with a lot of immigrant families lately. And the way that's come about is that the Canadian Catholic Immigrant Services has kind of noticed our church's interest in things like that. And so they start sending they've started sending people our way. And so over the last couple of years we we've had opportunity to minister in various ways to families that are immigrants to Canada, in some cases former refugees, and they come into Canada and are being blessed specifically by our church. And so, if you've met Jean Claude and Sophie and their family, they come here every Sunday morning. They always sit back there during the second service, and we have been able to bless them. But then there's a new family. Uh, hope, how do you say her name? Suavis, Yeah, Suavis and her family. And Suavis is, a, at this point in Canada, a single mother. She is married, but her husband is still in Tanzania. And, and in fact, because of the way things sometimes work in Africa, he has two wives. And so. He has a wife that he's with in Tanzania, and now he, his wife with five children have come here, and she's eight and a half months pregnant. So she's going to have a sixth baby pretty soon. Well, this week, one of her children, one of the younger ones, was sick to the point of needing to be in the hospital, and so the, the baby kept vomiting and she couldn't fix that, so she went to the hospital. She took the five kids with her initially to the hospital. Of course, that doesn't really work so well. The, a nurse eventually sent four of the children home in a cab, the oldest of which is 14. They went back to their home, and I, I don't know exactly how we found all of this out, uh, but we did find that out somehow. Uh, and it ended up that that night, uh, staying in her home were Hope and Michiko, who have been working with Suavis and her family. And then the next night, Michiko and Bethany, I don't know if anybody else was there besides you, Beth, and Michiko, but they spent the night uh, with Sovisa's children in her home. And so we've been ministering to this family where this lady is eight and a half months pregnant with five children here all by herself while her husband is still in Tanzania. And she needs us. She needs help. And we have people who've stepped up and helped her in a significant way. Um, You know, We actually have a family that came here, we've talked about this family uh, before, they have both Italian and and Ghanaian roots, who came here a few months ago to Canada, uh, really on false pretenses. They were told one thing by a family member, they got here and found out that none of the things that they were told were actually true, and so they're here really without any resources and no means of getting more resources, and they're going to have to leave the country. And we've been helping them all along, and now we're even helping them uh, to find a new place in the UK. Well, all of that to say that Randy is exactly right. We have a great church. We really do. And we need to recognize that. I said to Randy, I said, you know, we do have a great church, and there aren't enough of us who really recognize how great our church is. And, of course, it's only because of the Lord that our church is great. It's not because of us. It's because God works in the hearts of people and blesses us in the way that he does. And it's a beautiful privilege that we have to serve others in the way that God has blessed us with that privilege. And I just really praise the Lord for that and thank Him. Well, we're going to continue along those lines this morning, along the lines of serving God and being all that we should be. And I want you to turn, if you would, in in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 683 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to turn there. And we're going to start with verse 13. And it really is a beautiful, beautiful text. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 And notice this comes after the beatitudes I'll say some more about that in just a second but notice it comes after the beatitudes and then Jesus says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men you are the light of the world A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just want to thank you for this text this morning. God, I want to thank you for these beautiful words that say something about who we are. And God, I pray that we would in every way live up to everything that you have made us. We pray through Jesus. Amen. The first thing I want you to notice is that if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says that Jesus went up on a hillside and he sat down and called his disciples to him. So when he starts to teach... Who is it that's there listening to Jesus teach? Well, those who are there are His disciples. Now, the crowds are there too. We know that from the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the end of chapter 7, you would find that it says that the crowds were blown away by Jesus' teaching. So clearly, the crowds are there as well. But He calls His disciples to Him, and those are the ones that He's really addressing. He's addressing those who follow Him. And I want you to notice too, as I said, that being salt and light come after the Beatitudes. And in fact, it comes after the Beatitudes and before Jesus goes into a lengthy portion of teaching about who we're supposed to be in Him. And so this notion of being salt and light comes right in the middle of a big description about who disciples are. In fact, the very kind of persons that we are to be. And then you combine that with the fact, if you look at the end of verse 3, and then you look at verse 10, you'll find in both those verses, there's the notion mentioned of the kingdom of God being present within us. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's interesting. The kingdom, then, is going right along with who we are as disciples. And so if all of that is the case, then I would say something like this is true, that the context... For these verses, salt and light, is that Jesus is addressing those who follow him and that one who follows him is a certain kind of person, a disciple. Those who follow him are, in one sense, those who really follow him. You can't just say, I'm a follower of Jesus and be a disciple. You have to really follow Jesus in order to be a disciple. And all of these words that he's saying when he talks about us being salt and light are addressed addressed to those who are disciples. And then I want you to notice this. Jesus does not say, in fact, contrary to the front of our bulletin, okay, I should have noticed this when Hope gave me this picture to look at on the front of the bulletin. Look at the front of the bulletin. It says, be this. Is that what it says? Be this. Be these. Be these. (laughs) And what I'm going to tell you this morning is that I think that that's a misinterpretation of these verses, because these verses don't say, be these things. Here's what it says. It says, disciples are salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It doesn't say be anything. It says, this is what you are. It's his genuine followers, his disciples, who are salt and light in the world. Which again means, I think, that we take this text wrongly in so many ways. We are salt and light. In fact, I would say something like this is true. That by definition, a disciple is one who impacts that which is him around him or her. And that's because if there's anything... That salt and light does, it's that there is an impact. There's an impact with salt, there's an impact with life, with light. And so the issue is not whether or not you're going to become salt and light. I can't say to Jordan Clark, Jordan, you really need to become salt. You need to become light. I can't say that to him. Because the fact is, Jordan is already salt and light. And so it seems to me that the force of these verses would take us in a direction kind of like this. Do we have the influence in the world that salt and light are supposed to have? Not, are you salt and light? The question is the question of impact the question is the question of influence and that's because salt is salt once you're salt there are certain things that are going to be you because you're salt the fact is salt impacts things around it we all know that you put on put salt on food and it affects the taste you put some salt on food it can be really good it may not be so good for your heart may impact that too But it's going to impact the taste of the food. If you put too much salt on that food, pretty soon the impact is so great that you can't handle it. It affects taste. On certain foods, salt becomes a preservative. It will actually dry out meat so that meat can be maintained for a long period of time unrefrigerated and it will preserve that meat. If salt is put in contact with steel, even as something as strong as steel, you put salt on steel and it will rust it every Time. Even stainless steel will eventually succumb to salt if salt comes in contact with steel. If enough salt is put in water, then that water becomes so powerful that it will induce vomiting. You drink salt water, it'll cause you to vomit. If you clean your mouth out with salt water, it kills all kinds of bacteria. You can use it as a mouthwash, you can use it as a toothpaste. Because salt will actually destroy the bacteria that's in your mouth. You put salt on snow, and if the temperature isn't too low, what happens? It melts. So we sprinkle uh, salt out here on the entryway, and we hope that it will keep everybody from falling and slipping on the ice. You put salt on ice around a bucket, and if you have some cream and some sugar inside that bucket and you have it in the right consistency, and you stir that all up and make it go around a lot, the ice will freeze because of the salt, or I should say it will melt because of the salt, making actually for a colder temperature, and the ice cream will freeze faster because of the salt in the ice. And so salt, if you think about it, is amazing stuff. Like it impacts everything around it. Until... It is no longer salt. What happens, and you know, in the Bible it says, what if it loses its saltiness? Well, there is no such thing as salt just losing its saltiness. What the text really means is, is it salt or is it not salt? Like, what happens if that which is salt no longer is salt? What if it stops being salt? And of course, at the moment that it stops being salt, it loses all of its influence. And at this point, in the biblical text, we actually are encountered by some words that I find pretty chilling. Because Jesus says that if you are not having influence, it's not just that you are less salty... It is that you are no longer salt. Because salt always has influence. If salt is salt, you put it on steel, it rusts the steel. If salt is salt, you put it in your mouth and it kills the bacteria. But at the moment that salt is no longer salt, then the one thing that we know about it is that it loses the influence of salt. And so salt and impact go hand in hand. You can't lose one of those. You can't lose the impact of salt and still have salt. Because salt will always be influential. And that's chilling because if in fact we have no influence, it means that we're not salt, that we're not disciples. We're not the followers that we say we are. Disciples are to have an impact. And it's absolutely crucial that we get this. Disciples have an influence in the world. Listen to every word I just said. Disciples have an influence in the world. If we are influencing nothing, and I must admit this is a bit difficult even for me to say... But I think it's the absolute truth. If our influence is nothing, then we aren't followers at all. We just think we are. We're in reality just acting like followers. We're we're playing the part of salt. We look white. We pretend to be salt without being salt at all. Because the fact is that salt always has influence if it is salt. And so if there's no influence, if there's no impact, then what are we? The fact is there are many people who call themselves Christians, and the word Christian, of course, simply means a follower of Christ, who have absolutely no impact for the Lord Jesus. And who therefore, as far as I can tell from this text, are not salt in the world. And so can't actually say, I am a follower of Christ. It's pretty sobering. And the fact is, the same is true of churches. In fact, if you look at this whole text, these words, the pronouns in this text are all plural. Plural. It's talking here about the church. And it's saying that the church collectively has to be filled with disciples who end up being a salty impact in our world. Well, let's move to the second part of this and see what he has to say about light. It's not exactly the same, but it's close. When he starts talking about us being light of the world, and by the way, Isn't there somebody else who once said they were light of the world? It's not just a claim about us by Jesus that we're the light of the world. And so if we're going to be the light of the world, somehow there's going to have to be a connection between the one who says he's the light of the world and we who are told we are the light of the world. We need to be connected to him so closely that his light begins to be reflected in us. We're not so much a light ourselves as we are a mirror. And the light of the world shines in us, and we become then lights ourselves. Well, let's look at Jesus' point from the light of the world section. And I'd say this first, just like Jesus does, that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Notice that he specifically says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So we, if we are a city of lights, cannot be hidden in fact it would seem as though our light is so powerful that nothing can hide it it's like it's like the flash of an atomic bomb who could possibly just cover up that light or it's like the light of the sun you can bring in a whole world of clouds you can cover the world with a cloud layer as happens Often, and maybe not the whole world, but certainly large portions of the world are covered with a cloud layer. But when the earth turns on its axis and it's facing the sun, are we in darkness or are we in light? Absolutely. And so every day, the clouds may be there. But when I wake up in the morning, at some point it is going to get light even when the clouds are there. Because the light is just irrepressible. You can't cover it up. Well, that's an impact, I'll tell you, a huge impact. It's amazing how powerful that light is, so powerful that it just can't be covered. And that's the kind of impact that Jesus is after when it comes to us. We are the light of the world, Jesus says, meaning that we are to have influence, our purpose as lights is to shine and to have influence the question is not whether or not we're going to become a light we wanna am I a light can I become a light that's not the issue you are in fact a light and so we don't have to doubt who we are we don't have to doubt our abilities we don't have to doubt our capabilities we don't have to doubt our potential for having influence we can have influence at no point in the history of the world, even as ti- at times as bad as ours are, should the church say to itself, I don't think we can get this done. I don't think we can do this. We've got some purpose or some mission or some goal. We think, oh, this is just too big. I don't think we can do this. The fact is, we are lights. We do have that kind of capability. The world is not too strong for us. The game is not over. The fat lady hasn't sung. The church has every opportunity to be a light where it is. The question is not, are we lights? The question is, will we allow ourselves, if we go now to the image of the lamp... Will we actually allow this lamp to be covered? Because it seems as though the one thing that could not extinguish the light, but could somehow cover up the light as if the light itself allows itself to be covered. So the purpose is to bring light, and there is nothing that says that we can't. Now, look at verse 16. Because the purpose for the church... And purpose for being a light gets narrowed down here in a significant way. Here it says that the light specifically represents the good deeds of the disciples that positively impact the world. By which God ends up getting praised. And so when we allow ourselves to have the impact, when we put ourselves in a position where we have the kind of impact in our world that we should have, the world sees our good deeds, the text says, And we become lights. Things begin to change. And so one of the reasons that I love telling people about the good things that we're doing in our church. One of the reasons that I love saying to to you folks this morning, but to everybody else that I talk to, you wouldn't believe what Hope and Michiko and what Bethany did the other night. When Diane took the kids for a whole day and two days and took care of them so that the mother could be in the hospital with her kid. The reason I love saying that kind of thing and telling that kind of story about our church is because when the good deeds that our church does are set before other people, they see the good deeds and what do they do? They praise God. Because of the good deeds that are being done by our church. And so it's not bragging when I start talking about how great our church is. It's simply an opportunity to say, look what God is doing through us. And allowing God to be praised because of the good lives of people here who are giving themselves to him. And becoming the lights, not becoming, I should change that language in this sermon. They are in fact just being the lights that God has made them to be. And that's what our world needs. Like we live in this broken, hurtful, crushing, spiraling down into the toilet kind of world. Where things get worse it seems every day. And we hear the messages on the news constantly of some tragedy that's taking place. And then God says, But you, you can be lights! In this world of darkness. And so if nothing else today. The self-esteem of every disciple in the house. Should have been raised this morning. You are salt. You are light. And our potential for impact is the greatest force. That the world has ever known. There is no force greater than we are. There is no army that is stronger than we are. We are the kingdom of God and God allows us to bring the influence of his kingdom into our world and to impact it in significant ways. You think about this. There was a little baby born once in a cow trough and about this time of year, the whole world turns and starts to think about that baby in the cow trough. How could this be? It makes no sense that this baby would have such influence, but he does, and he continues to have influence through his Spirit working among us and bringing into our world the influence of the kingdom. And so my exhortation today is not for you to become salt and light. You are that We are the light of the world, Jesus says. And our purpose is to influence. And so we need to let our good deeds have the influence in the world that the deeds of those who possess the kingdom are supposed to have. That's what God wants to have happen through us. And the beauty of this passage is that he says it can be because of what he's already made us. And so the question is not, are you going to be salt and light? It all has to do with impact and influence. Do you have an impact for Christ? That's the question. Because he wants every one of us and the church collectively to have an impact for him in our world. And that's really what this passage is about. Does the salt, does the light have the impact in our world that it's supposed to have? Let's pray. Lord God, you have put us in a position where we can be impactful, where we can be impactful. where things can be influenced and changed because you're working through us. And it's not because we're wonderful, it's because you are. And you've just blessed us with the privilege of being your children. You've made us salt and light. And so, Father, whatever ways there are in which we need to allow our influence to be present, help us to do that. Enable us, God, that we might do nothing to prevent the influence that our good deeds presented before men and women are to have. Strengthen us that we can be salt and light in our world today. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.